Welcome this morning. I'm so glad you're here uh, for week two in this series called War. So thank you for coming back if you're here. <laughs> uh, we're in week two. My name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and this series is called War, where we are investigating the reality of spiritual warfare in order to recognize and resist the three enemies of our soul. And these three enemies are what we're identifying as the world, the flesh, and the devil. And although the term spiritual warfare isn't necessarily found anywhere in the scriptures, the idea of our faith being likened to that of a struggle, of a fight, of a battle, of a war, is. And to Jesus and the biblical authors, the world, the flesh, and the devil are real enemies that we should be able to recognize in order to stand against in this battle for our souls. So last week we spent our time exposing the world as one of the three enemies of the soul. So we talked about the world and how in the world the devil's lies and deceptive ideas, his main strategy against us, are normalized in a sinful society. So if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and watch that on our YouTube channel or our Facebook page. Um, and this week, this week, we're going to be talking about the flesh and how the devil's lies and deceptive ideas play to disorder our desires. So if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I, would, I invite you uh, to open to Ephesians Chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 1. Don't worry if you don't have it up, uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, we'll put it up on the screens. Um, although everyone, just the Bible app, go ahead and download. If you don't have that Bible app, download it. version Bible app, just download it. It's, it's the best. Um, all right, so here we are. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And then the famous phrase, the famous line, it is by grace you have been saved. Notice how in a single paragraph, Paul ties together the three enemies of the soul. You have followed the ways of this world, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, and the devil the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This passage is where our spiritual ancestors received the language of the three enemies of the soul. And this passage, and others like it, expressed the sense that I believe we all feel. This tension that we experience in our lives the undeniable conflict that bombards us on a daily basis, from the atrocities we hear about in the news, from the tragedies that we experience in our homes. And if we're honest, that same tension, that same conflict, it exists inside of us as well. 
a war between good and evil, between heaven and hell, between God and the devil. And I love the way that the band Switchfoot put it in that song we just listened to called The War Inside. Yeah, it's where the fight begins. Yeah, underneath the skin. Every fight comes from the fight within. Yeah, it's in the air we breathe. Makes me think to Paul's line, think about Paul's line, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Yeah, it's in the blood we bleed. And then he says, he goes on to say in this song, I get the feeling that we're living in sci-fi. I get the feeling that our weapons are lo-fi. Ain't no killer like pride, no killer like I, no killer like what's inside. I am the war inside. I love the line. I get the feeling. I mean, well, first of all, I love Switchfoot and I love most of their songs. Um, and it, we've actually done some of their songs before uh, when I've taught. It's, it's just a thing that's, such a great writer. Okay, so anyway, I love the line. I love the line. I get the feeling that we're living in sci-fi. Perhaps this is because, like sci-fi, is how many of us perceive the idea of spiritual warfare today. I know I do. Like, this isn't stuff that you just, that you hear about or read about every day, unless you read your scriptures, which, of course, obviously, I do every day, you know. Um, but do you know what I'm talking about? It's the idea of spiritual warfare um, in our society. It's kind of like, it's kind of, you just don't go there. It's kind of out there in this day and age. Have you ever tried to tell someone that like you're experiencing spiritual warfare or you feel like you are? I have. They tried to exercise me. Okay. Let's joke. Wake up! <laughs> Wake up this morning. Come on now. All right. So anyway, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, it, it's, it's been often met. Like, that's what people kind of equate this kind of stuff to. Like, like the de- you mean the devil? Like, like possession? Like stuff like that? And I'm not saying that those things aren't valid or real. My point is simply that those things are like fourth or fifth or even sixth in the list of ways that the enemy messes with us. The enemy's primary weapon against us is lies. Lies. Jesus calls the devil the father of lies, the origin point of deception. And the devil's lies are not random. The devil isn't trying to convince you that Tupac's still alive or that pigeons aren't real. Okay? No, the devil, the devil's lies are specifically aimed at what Paul and the New Testament authors commonly refer to as the flesh. The flesh. Now, what do they mean when they are referring to the flesh? Well, the Greek word for flesh is the word sarx, or in the American, sarx. But sarx is like a little bit of a roll the R there in a little bit. If you want to say that, sarx. Nice. I think some of you nailed it. All right. Again, similar to English, Greek words can have multiple meanings. And so take, for example, the word date. Hey, Morgan, do you remember the date that we went on a date and got bacon-wrapped dates? Do you, do you remember? If you haven't had bacon-wrapped dates, by the way, they're fantastic, okay? They're, you should try them. So the Greek, so the Greek word for flesh is, is similar in the fact that it has multiple meanings. It has different meanings. And sometimes the word flesh in the scriptures refer to our physical body. Like in 1 Corinthians 6.16, do you not know? That he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body, flesh. 
And, and flesh here is, is a synonym for the word body. Body, our, our physical body. Not our enemy. Our physical body is not our enemy. Okay, our body is good. Our body is a temple, remember? So when this Greek, and then now when this Greek word, sarx is used um, to refer to multiple bodies, the word becomes synonymous with humanity. Like in Luke 3, 6, all people, that, that's the word sarx, all people will see God's salvation. Or in 1 Peter 1, 24, for all people, that same word, sarks, are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers, and the flowers fall. So flesh can just mean your body or our bodies as one big fleshy family called humanity, right? Um, again, not bad. Humanity is good. Humanity is not the enemy. Paul is clear about this later on in, in, in Ephesians, Okay. Um, humanity is not the enemy, okay? Um, sometimes that same word, sarx, can be also translated as ethnicity. Um, in Philippians 3.3, 3, for it is who we are, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, Paul would go on to say, like, if anyone was to put confidence in the flesh, it would be me, because I am this and this and this, and I'm of this line and of this line, and I've been here for this line, right? And these are who my parents are. He's, the word that Paul uses here um, in this context, he's referring to Jewish heritage. So flesh can mean ethnicity, or it can mean even just your, your cultural history that is specific to you. But what we mean when we are talking about the flesh as an enemy of the soul is not our body, our physical body, or bodies, or humanity, or even our ethnicity. No, it is what Paul means back here in Ephesians 2 when he's referring to our cravings, our cravings. Okay, in Romans 7, 5, he puts it like this. He says, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. He defines the flesh in this scripture, in this passage of scripture, as sinful passions. Peter, in his letter, refers to it as corrupt desire. He says, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh. And then he goes on to say it often leads to a despise, to despise authority. Talked a little bit about that last week. Pastor and scholar uh, Eugene Peterson, who translated the Bible into American, um, defined the flesh as the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. Eugene Peterson was the author of the message. Just, you know, into American. I just, a little quirky joke there. Um, the corruption that sin has introduced into our very appetites and instincts. Basically, the flesh is our primal, animalistic desire for self-gratification, to indulge, especially when it comes to sex and food, but also with just pleasure in general. Like, like the hedonistic desires that we have for pleasure, 
right? We pursue pleasure above everything else, right? So again, it could be it, when it comes to sex, especially when it comes to sex, especially when it comes to food, especially when it comes to the desire for pleasure, but we also see this self-orientation of the flesh with our instincts for survival, for domination, and for the need for control. In other words, the flesh wants whatever the heck it wants, whenever the heck it wants, right now. These are what the devil's, friends, these are what the devil's lies are aimed at. These desires are what the devil's deceptive ideas play to disorder inside of all of us. And when you mix that with the culture that says things like, you do you, trust your feelings, follow your heart. Like, come on, Scripture says guard your heart. But the world says follow your heart in a world where wants become needs, in a world where self has become God, our desires have become disordered. Because these desires in and of themselves are not bad. These desires God created, they're human. However, we have been deceived and they have become corrupted and disordered, friends. And what happens out of that is that our deepest desire is not always our strongest desire. Our deepest desire is not always our strongest desire. On Fridays, <clears throat> Morgan, Ophelia, and I, we, we usually go grocery shopping together uh, at, the, at the Kroger in Goshen. I've been going there my whole life. Uh, it's just the best store ever. I refer to it as Kroger's. Morgan refers to it as Kroger. I don't know why. Is that like a Midwestern thing to say I'm going to Kroger's? Yes? Does anyone else do that? Am I alone? Okay, thank you. Some of you raise your hands. Makes me feel a little better. See, Morgan? Okay. So anyway, we go, we, every Friday, uh, we go and shop at Kroger. And uh, this week, as we're walking towards the checkout, and I don't know, if, again, if it's just because I've been in this series where I've been like prepping for this message and wrestling with a lot of this, this, uh, the idea of spiritual warfare or what, but this week, you know how they have that like candy display like right in the center there, like dead center, smack dab, they want you to see it. You know it's there, that candy display, right? It's just conveniently there in the middle. And usually like Ophelia, like again, like children are like the, the epitome of like, I want everything. Like it's my desire controls me, right? That's, that's, that's Ophie right now, okay? No self-control. But anyway, like typically it's her that just wants to grab it all. But this time it was me. I am like, I want all of the Reese's. I just want it all. But you know what? Since I've been like meditating and, and praying and thinking about the desires of the flesh, I, I, I did the thing. I just kind of, you know, candy here. Nope. Get behind me, Satan. And just kind of turn the other way. Okay. And then what I realized is like smack dab right in front of me is this um, like display of, it's mag magazines right here, right in front of me. And I... On one particular one, the one that caught my eye is like Chris Hemsworth, just shirtless and all jacked right there, you know? And so then like, I've, got, I've got the candy on one side and I've got like ripped crims, Chris Hemsworth on the other, okay? And I think it's because the new Thor movie, okay? Um, <clears throat> but anyway, so he, here I am, like in this, I, I feel two deep primal desires in my soul going on right now. One, one is I want to be jacked like Chris Hemsworth. Like, I want to be that guy. 
Okay, this guy. And on the other is I want all the Reese's I could possibly devour in this moment right now. Like I want them all. Okay, so what do I do in this existential crisis of a moment in my life? Easy. I grab the magazine and I take the Reese's and I eat the Reese's while I'm reading Chris Hemsworth's workout plan. Okay, because I can start next week. You know what I'm saying? No, I'm just kidding. I did not do that. Okay, but, but this is essentially the conflict that I'm getting at. Um, this battle of desires within us, like, like it, it's that conflict. I want to be healthy and look like Chris Hemsworth, but I also want to like make Taco Tuesday every day of the week, okay? Essentially, like that's this desire, okay? You know what I'm saying? And now this is the same. The same is true for much of our more sensitive and more serious conflicts of des- desire, <clears throat> Right? Like, I really want to love Ophelia well and intentionally raise my children to love God and love others and experience the beauty that really is the beauty of God that's in this world around us. But then I also just want to stick her in her pack and play with an iPad so that I can get some work done on this sermon that I've been procrastinating on. Like, I, I, I want to deeply live deeply grateful and content with all that I have, as well as practice like this radical generosity in our, in our lives, with our time, with our money. Um, but, I, but I also really want that new iPhone, even though mine's perfectly fine, right? As, as well as I want to upgrade my perfectly good car. I want to get up early and, and soak my mind and heart in scripture and prayer, but I also want to stay up late playing video games, or watching Netflix, or binge-watching whatever TV series I'm into. I want to honor women and stand up for equality, but I also want to objectify the woman on that Instagram post or gaze at that person walking down the road. I want to be like Christ, but I also want to be able to do whatever the heck I want. We all live with this war inside of our mind of desire. And it can be easy to forget that our strongest desires are not actually our deepest desires. In the moment of temptation, really, the only desire that I feel is the desire to sin. The desire to lust, to lie, to gossip, to buy another thing that I don't really need. But when I step out of that moment of temptation and I'm alone with God... I realize that those desires are not my deepest desires. And this isn't because like I'm more spiritual or anything like that. In fact, I think it's because I have the spirit within me. If anything, that's what this is. Because my deepest desire is actually to live in a way that honors God with my mind, with my body, with my relationship to others, with my words, with my actions and my deeds and my money. This is my deepest desire. And it often doesn't feel that way in the moment of temptation, right? Because what happens most often is our deepest desire is sabotaged by our strongest desire in the moment. And the problem is these stronger desires, the desires of the flesh, are not what leads to freedom in life, but rather destruction and death. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 if you have your Bibles open. 
This is perhaps some of the best insight we have in the scriptures on how to stand against the flesh as an enemy of the soul. This is Galatians 5, starting in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now we Americans, we're all for freedom, right? All for it. Freedom, yes. Right? Yeehaw. But Paul does not mean what most of us mean when he says freedom. Skip down to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire Torah is filled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So for those of you that read like the whole Bible in the year, like, you know, in June, read love your neighbor as yourself, and, and you, you've done half the work, okay? If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You see, freedom, freedom, as we all know, is really easy to abuse. But here the idea Paul is getting at is don't use this freedom, the freedom we have in Jesus, to gratify the desires of the flesh, to gratify your strongest desires. The gift of Jesus is not a get-out-of-jail-free card but rather use this freedom to serve one another humbly in love, to love your neighbor as yourself. He's implying that we get to decide how we use our freedom and what we use our freedom for. It's the reality that with Jesus, we have the capacity to override the desire to indulge in the flesh. And this is what Paul is referring to when he talks about freedom. Because it's not freedom to, but rather freedom from. The definition of freedom that we think of when we think of freedom is the freedom to do whatever the heck we want. Don't tell me what to do. And to Jesus and the authors of the New Testament, they call freedom the exact opposite it's the idea that because of this freedom I have in Jesus, I no longer have to do whatever I want. I am free to do the opposite of what I want because what I want more often than not will lead me to places that I do not want to go, say things I do not want to say, or do things that I do not want to do. Paul has this like super heady, like confusing paragraph in Romans 7, but I think it nails it. Okay, he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I do, I do not, for what I want to do. See, I'm already getting it messed up. See, okay. All right. I do not, <laughs> this is how I have to read it. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. This judgment on our flesh. I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. Clear as mud, right? Paul, in this confusing way, I think is describing this conflict of desires that we go through on an everyday basis, this conflict of desires that we all have within us, even Paul. So what do we do about this conflict of desires? Verse 16, if you're following along in Galatians, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Man, and this this, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Tinder, hookup culture, your local bar or club. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Twitter, cancer culture, cancel culture. Practically most, if not all, of televised news. Selfish ambition, dissensions, Factions, politics, gossip, church, pride, and envy. Facebook and Instagram, need I say more? Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Your favorite Netflix or HBO show. I warn you as I did before that those who live in this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now I know I was a little harsh. Of course I harped on the negative aspects of what I listed, but, and, and I'm aware of some of the good that are in some of those things that I listed too, but we can't keep ignoring the dark side of these things in our culture. Let's continue and wrap up here uh, with the contrast to the flesh. Paul goes on, this is in verse 22. But the spirit, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and ironically, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, have put to death the flesh and its passions and its desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does this look like for us to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk with the Spirit. To, to in, in, the, in the metaphor that Paul uses of fruit and growing things, what does it look like to cultivate, to keep 
an environment in our lives where the Spirit can grow fruit. What does this look like? Our practices for this week, if, if you remember last week we had some practices for the week, how'd your idea audit go? Decent, I hope, if you did it, I hope you did, okay? Um, but we're gonna, we're gonna actually, one of these practices I, I'm, I'm thinking is gonna come up every week, and this one is the practice of surrender. The practice of surrender. Listen to, listen to how Paul talks about this. Walk with the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Man. To, to walk with something, to keep in step with the other things that you're walking with, the other things that you're keeping in step with, the other things that you are holding on with, might, holding on to, might have to go. Our ability to overcome the temptation of the flesh, we cannot do alone. This is God work, spirit work in our lives. And so it, this comes down to surrendering. Surrendering. And I'll come back to this idea. Maybe, maybe this, is, this is an opportunity to surrender, re-surrender, or, or if you haven't ever done this yet, just surrender to Jesus as king of your life of your family, of your things, surrender. And for some of us, some of those things I just listed, we need to like really seriously consider actually surrendering. This begins, this, this act of surrender begins every day with the little things, friend. With the little things. As simple as instead of like checking Facebook, the first thing you do, or, or checking your phone, the first thing you do, it's waking up. And, it, and, it's, and it's posturing your body in prayer, posturing your mind in prayer with this conversation of, with God in truth, who can speak truth into you in a world full of lies. It begins every day with the little things. What does this look like for you? This is a practice for the week. Surrender. What does this look like for you? A second practice is fasting. Fasting, if you've never fasted before, okay, this is, this is the act of, of giving something up, starving something in your life in order to recognize your need, your desire, your deepest desire for that relationship with God. In fasting, I, I want you guys to focus on this practice is about starving your strongest desires and feeding your deepest ones. So this week, I'd encourage you, what do you need to starve this week? It, could, it even could be that screen time. Maybe there was an idea audit that you had the past week and now this week, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna fast from that. I'm gonna see what my life looks like for a week without that, just a week. For some of us, maybe we need to like, just for a week, give up alcohol and figure out what, where its place is in our life. We can identify maybe our relationship to it isn't healthy. Transparently, this is something I do every year. For a month. 
to re-identify what my relationship is. Is it something that I'm a slave to or is it something that I, I have a good relationship with in a way where, I don't, where I'm sober-minded still in the spirit? What does this look like for you? What do you need to starve? And just try it for a week. Come on. Last practice. Last practice. And this is, this is probably the hardest one, honestly. Confession. I think many of us think when we come in here on a Sunday morning and, and we, we're, you know, we're singing worship songs or, or we have this prayer in the moment, we're like, God, I, I have this sin. There's something that I need to confess to you because I want to hand it over to you, God. I want to surrender it to you. I want to give it to you. And yes, that is powerful. You should do that all the time. But there is something incredibly powerful, something incredibly powerful about confessing that to someone else. about opening yourself up, being vulnerable in that moment, and opening yourself up to accountability, to love, to someone loving you despite your brokenness, your sin. You guys, God asks us to do this for one another. And I believe this is how we can experience a very unique and incredible way that we can experience God in this world. I've experienced God in this way through my wife, Morgan, and her love for me, despite my brokenness and my sin. Ben, if you guys could come up, I'm wrapping it up here. There is power in confession. There's accountability. And I promise a deeper sense of God's love in your life because, man, it comes real. It is real. I hope that you prayerfully consider some of these practices this week and maybe identify in your life, and maybe these practices help you identify in your life some of the disordered desires that you have because the devil's lies and deceit in your life. Can I pray for you? God, I thank you so much for this opportunity this morning. This topic is so difficult. It has been really hard. But Jesus, this is, this is and was a reality for you and this is and was a reality for us and you don't want us to be apathetic. You want us to live in this world and thrive in this world that is broken, that is full of lies. Jesus, this is why you say you are the truth. So God, this morning, I, I just, I pray for your truth. I pray for our weeks, God, that your spirit would go with us and that we would choose with our freedom to walk in the spirit, to not gratify the desires of our flesh, God, but to be awakened to our deepest desire for a relationship with you. Let that be what comes out of this. We thank you so much for this time this morning, God. I, I pray for strength, and I pray for, for love and forgiveness and, and accountability in this room this morning. It's in your name, Lord. Amen.